morning, church. So good to be here with you today. Uh, if you're watching this and you're like, oh my gosh, is she here? Maybe she's like quarantining and that's what these plants are for. Um, just to let you know, I am not in Vancouver yet, but as of April 24th, I'm scheduled to be, which is really exciting. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Uh, so currently I am in America, uh, North Carolina, actually visiting some friends. So yeah, a little bit different of a background than maybe what you're used to, but I'm really excited to just share with you a little bit today. If you're watching this and you're like, I don't know who this girl is. My name is Christy. Uh, I lived over in London, England for two years, and now I am moving to Vancouver to work with the international team in with ENV. So I'm really excited. I'm a trauma counselor. So I'm coming and using my trauma counseling education and experience uh, to be a platform to help people. So really excited about that. Uh, I also just want to say I'm excited because during this time of COVID, I have been learning so much about Canadian culture. And so I feel like now I'm actually going to get to Im immerse myself into it and like really learn. I hope I'm really going to learn. Uh, I recently spoke at a church in Florida and one of the questions the pastor asked me, which was not on the list. So he threw me in the deep end, uh, was if we were migrating to Canada, what is like a piece of advice or for like a word or a phrase that we could use that would help us fit in. And I'm thinking you're talking to the wrong girl because I don't think I ever fit in, uh, in Canadian culture right now, but I did my best. <laughs> I mean, if I was speaking on English culture, I would be like, oh, you could say rubbish bin or knackered or I don't know, call it a toilet instead of a restroom. So the only thing that came to mind was to say it's not a beanie, it's a toque. And so, Carol, I, I appreciate you giving me that little word to be able to use. I'm trying to come in humbly and learn from you guys. I'm sure everyone is learning a lot during this time of COVID. It has taken so long to get to this point. So I feel like God has been teaching me so much about myself and my own heart. And now I'm going to also add like learning a whole new culture and environment <laughs> to that. So anyways, I'm really excited. I get to come today with our established series. Uh, we have been looking at the Bible and the narrative that takes us through it. And we've gotten to look at Jesus a little bit. And today I get to speak on us, the people's response. So what does this, what is our part in all of this? Which is really exciting. And we're going to talk about uh, the parable of the sower. If you are like me, I grew up in church. And so I've heard this so many times. In fact, when I heard that this is what I was going to be speaking on, I started laughing because... <laughs> The first thing that came to mind was this children's song sung by this man, Donut Man, which I grew up in like Southern church culture. And so before VeggieTales, we had Donut Man. And Donut Man was this man who sang songs and told stories with a bunch of children and puppets. And one of which was a donut with a hole in the middle. And the whole premise was we all have a hole in the middle of our hearts and we need Jesus. And as corny as that sounds, Donut Man is actually what brought me to say, I think I need Jesus. So it takes all things um, to reach people. But I was going to sing the song, but I thought Matt Johnson would be the only one to sing along with me. And yeah, so I've decided to refrain from that. But I think sometimes with parables and different stories, we've heard it so many times that sometimes when we hear it, we're like, 
okay, does this even apply to me? Especially if you have, no, not to spoiler alert at all, but if you've heard this story before, you probably are aware that maybe you say, oh, I am a follower of Christ, so I'm the good soil. I'm good. This doesn't apply to me anymore. But actually, I want us to take a look and see how I believe truly there's some hidden meanings and some things that maybe uh, you haven't noticed before. And so, yeah, I thought we would just go ahead and jump right in. So we are going to read from Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And I hope you all have your Bibles with you. Uh, I know with COVID, I'm more prone to just read what is on the screen. But I think there's just something powerful when we have God's word in our hand. So I'm going to read uh, chapter eight, verse four. It says, as a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit, a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who hear, who, those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in time of testing. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones that, when they've heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and produce no mature fruit. But the seed on the good ground, these are the ones who having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. So that was a, it's a bit of a lot. So I'm hoping you can just follow along with me. I want to kind of break it down. First, Jesus is speaking to a large crowd and he's telling them this thing called a parable. And maybe if you've, uh, if you're new to church, maybe you're like, I don't, I've never heard of what a parable is, or maybe you have grown up in church. And if somebody were to ask you to define that, you would get this deer in a headlights look. So a parable is literally, it's a true story with a cryptic meaning, uh, or a story of truth with a cryptic meaning. I've often heard this as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The whole purpose was for you to hear this and walk away and still have something to kind of chew and think on. And so that is what Jesus is doing. He's giving that story sharing that parable to a large audience, but who in the audience was this story supposed to be for? <laughs> There's a lot of people in there. Jesus actually says, he who has ears, let him hear. So is he speaking to the people that all of them that aren't deaf or haven't had their ears cut off or anything weird like that? Like, no, actually what he's doing is he's speaking to people's hearts. He's asking for individuals' hearts who are sensitive to hearing God's word. When they hear it, they go, ooh, that sounds like it's something for me. Um, so for the Christian, that is what, well, it wouldn't have been Christians back then. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, that is what it was being spoken to. Um, 
it's very interesting too because Jesus stresses that those who have here who can hear to listen. And I think there's a big importance to that because the enemy isn't afraid when people hear God's word. Hearing doesn't scare them, but the moment they start believing, the moment that it starts taking root in their hearts, that's when he gets scared. Jesus actually quotes uh, Isaiah 6, 9 in this passage as showing that this wasn't for everyone, but it was for those who claimed to be followers of him. So why is this parable about soils? <laughs> for those of us who maybe claim to be the good soil, the soil that does take uh, root and bring about uh, fruitfulness. Well, let's take a look. So this wasn't gardening one-on-one with Jesus. If anything, this is more like heart surgery. He was speaking to our hearts because uh, when the seed, okay, which the seed is the word of God. If we miss that, we've missed the whole meaning of this. When the seed takes root in our hearts and begins to grow, then, uh, then we see transformed lives. And sometimes we look at people and we go, ooh, maybe you're not ready. It doesn't seem like you have that like, soft soil for your heart <laughs> and we judge them on that but we also don't fully know that and I love that when I read this parable one of the things that stood stood out to me is I often just like that children's story almost think of a farmer who has this like bag of seeds and he's going around and he's like tossing it on the ground where a bunch of people are walking and tossing it onto the ground where rocks clearly are it's like gravel and then he tosses it onto some thorn bushes and he's shocked that it's not growing and I'm just going who let this man be a farmer because clearly he does not understand agriculture because I am not a gardener I kill so many plants but yet I at least know more than that however what is interesting is Jesus used the agriculture of that day and what I realized was the sower or the farmer or whatever would would sow the seed, scatter the seed, and then they would plow the ground. And it wasn't until they plowed the ground that they find out what kind of soil it was. So they plow it, they find, ooh, there's rocks under here, or ooh, there's thorns. But they had, they had to sow the seed before they plowed, which is very interesting because when we're talking about hearts and when they hear God's word, they have to hear God's word. And then as the ground is plowed, we get to see what kind of heart they actually have. So, so often we judge by outward appearance or what we think people are going to, how they're going to take it, but it's not until they hear it that we really get to see what's underneath. So, um, Jesus talks about four soils, right? The wayside, the rock, the thorns, and the good ground. So the wayside would have been the path that would have been heavily walked on. You guys are from Vancouver. You've probably gone hiking. If you've ever gone hiking, you know that the ground is really hard uh, because so many people have walked on it that it is just pressed down. And so if we were to take a bunch of seeds and throw it on there, it would be really hard for that to penetrate the surface and therefore to take root. And so the same thing is Jesus is saying for hearts, these are the people who have hard hearts, also a weird kind of thing to say, but hearts that maybe think intellectually, but not so much that think with man, I am a sinner who's in need of a savior. They're just intellectually trying to process that and they keep it there rather than letting it get into their hearts. So they've probably heard the word preached uh, to them or the gospel explained to them, yet it doesn't ever seem to take root in their hearts. I love how um, 
Romans 10, 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Once again, that heart talk of believing in our heart, that's what helps us to be saved. So rock, that's the second soil. Although warm to the word, because the rocks heat up with the sun to make it nice and warm. So then, you know, it starts to sprout roots, but it doesn't ever actually take root because there's rock in the way. And so these are often the people who are more, rather than intellectually driven, they're more emotionally driven with this. Maybe they just have this emotional experience or encounter with God and they rely on that to get them through, or they really appreciate what maybe they think God will give them. And that's what they are clinging on to. However, when times of suffering takes place or things don't go well in life, they just aren't in it with Jesus anymore. I love how Timothy Keller says they want a sugar daddy, not a savior. They want God for what he can give them, not for a relationship with him. They don't see that they need uh, their center in need of saving, and they don't see that they need true repentance. So maybe these are the people who've prayed for salvation, but actually uh, it never really took root in their heart. They never really got it. Um, these are also <laughs> oftentimes the people that when something is taken from them, something that matters so much in life, and it is something that's taken from them, they're instantly mad at God. They want nothing to do with him. But really, when we look at it, the thing that was taken from them is probably the thing they worshiped all along. The third soil is the thorns. So this soil actually is fertile soil. And how do we know this? It's because thorns are growing out of it. And so uh, that's great, except for it's not a fruitful crop. Thorns aren't going to produce wonderful, beautiful crops. These are people who have roots, okay? The root has taken place. They're thinking more than just intellectually. And they're people that when things happen, they don't leave. Like they actually stay put, but they have a very divided heart and they don't bear fruit. They may worship Jesus, but they also worship or find their identity or their joy and completeness in something else. Maybe it's their sexuality, success, money, um, prestige, their family, whatever it is, that is what they find their, their completeness in. And so these are often people who it's hard to even tell if they are Christians because they do stick around. They do seem to have an understanding, but they have such a divided heart and they're not producing fruit. I haven't discussed the final group yet, but out of all four soils, this is the only one that's miserable. Because the first two actually know, I'm not a Christian, and the final one knows they are. This is the one that isn't quite sure, and they live in constant anxiety. The last one is the good soil. So this is soft and fertile soil that's weed-free. Uh, this soil doesn't just allow for the seed to get down and take root, but it also is focused on producing more crop. Uh, this one would produce a beautiful garden. And when I think of gardens, I often think of, I'm from East Tennessee, and so we like everybody has a little garden in their, their backyard. And so we grew like squash and zucchini and tomatoes. Or I think of my grandmother who had tulips and roses and daffodils. Those are the, the gardens that I think of. But it wasn't until I moved to London did I realize what a true garden really is. In my backyard literally was Hampton Court Palace. And if you've never heard of that, that was... Uh, the home of King Henry VIII. He is the one that was known to behead and divorce like almost all of his wives. 
Uh, so he's a very dark man, but for such a dark man, he has a beautiful palace and a beautiful gardens. And these gardens are massive and they have shrubberies and trees and flowers and plants and they're just gorgeous. And so people come from all over the world just to stroll about in these palace gardens. And so actually what we're doing is we're building up a beautiful palace garden, not just a small little spice and herb garden, uh, but we're actually being a part of something so much more beautiful uh, than we even realize. And so I also just wanna stress that just because we are the good soil, doesn't mean that we've always been that way. Maybe you aren't walking with Christ and you are like, oh, I just see everybody else's life and they just seem to get it so easily. It doesn't mean that their life never had rocks or thorns. It just means the gardener came and cleaned those away. The thing is, we just have to have God as the gardener come and clean our hearts and clean that stuff out. It's not the soil's job to clean itself. It's the soil's job to embrace and accept the seed. It's also uh, not our job to clean ourselves. It's our, self, it's our job to hear God's word, have it take root in our heart and let the transformation begin. So we've talked about these different soils, right? I don't know if you know this, but there's not much that's very interesting about dirt. Uh, guys, I'm sure if you went and got a jar of dirt and gave it to your girlfriends, they probably would not be thrilled. Maybe Captain Jack Sparrow would, but that's not what's gonna get the ladies, <laughs> just in case you didn't know. But the thing that's beautiful is without the seed, the dirt seems useless. There's, It's not important, but with the seed, everything changes because the dirt has something very important. It has vitamins and nutrients in it that allow the seed, when mixed with the seed, to, be, to form a beautiful crop. And the same thing goes with our lives. Maybe we have gifts and talents and uh, parts of our stories and such that may seem insignificant or unnoticed or not valuable or they don't make a lot of sense. But when the word of God takes place in our heart, actually those things mixed with it produce something that can actually help others. Uh, it allows us to be fruitful. I love that we have heroes in the Bible uh, like Moses and Rahab and Peter. And we see that these people are known for so much more than their sum of failures, more than the horrific things done to them or the heinous things done by them. Rather, these things become part of their fruitfulness. Peter himself was named uh, before Jesus's crucifixion as the rock that his church would be built upon. Peter was prophetically named not for his would-be failures, but he was named for his genuine strength of heart. So these vitamins and nutrients in the dirt mixed with the seed form a beautiful garden that shows a total transformation. To keep talking about London, I could talk about London all day long, but not far from where I lived was a place called Kew Gardens, which is the Royal Botanical Gardens. And it's a bunch of these nice housing facility things that house the world's most exotic plants. And each year over 2 million visitors come to this place, which seems a little weird. <laughs> like, hey, we're on vacation and we're gonna come do this to see a bunch of plants. <laughs> but what's cool about it is actually they're coming because throughout the year and years, they get new exotic plants that maybe you've never had a chance to see before. And so people come from all around to come and see these. The same thing goes with our lives. When people see that there's something different 
that the dirt mixed with something has become a beautiful plant. They're drawn and they want to see what that is. And so we get the great opportunity of, of being that transformation that people get to experience. So outsiders, they are drawn to the, the dirt becoming a fruit bearing plant. And our stories and our suffering speak heavily to those who don't know Jesus personally. I love this quote of Naomi Zacharias. Uh, she shares this, and every time I hear it, I just think of my own story that's just difficult at times and kind of messy, and uh, I just, I feel this way, so I thought I would share it. It says, I can say that if I had to choose between who I was before and who I am now, without being able to alter the path of events, I would pick the now. Even with all that it carries, life was simpler before. I didn't carry some of the same sensitivities and there weren't the same relational landmines another could unknowingly step into. But now I see the world with perspective. I view people through vastly different lenses and recognize beauty that once escaped my notice. God seems more mysterious, sometimes mysteriously confusing, absent and maddening, but always mysteriously true. If I am honest, life is ever more complicated, but undeniably richer. Like I said, I just love how God can take our pains and our brokenness and actually make it something beautiful for others, something that we can connect and relate to others about. And where we look at our stories and we go, oh, I don't like that I had to go through that. But if the only way I could become who I am now involves me going through that, I'd do it again. And that's so weird and so contrary to so many people. So I want to kind of review the different soils and see Maybe this has been speaking to you. Maybe you know which soil you are. Maybe you're the hard ground. And perhaps for you, you've heard the gospel, but it just can't seem to take root in your heart. Maybe you're thinking of intellectually and trying to understand it. Or maybe you are just asking God to do some advanced miracle where he proves himself and his existence to you. And that's just not happening. So I want to let you know you're not lost, that there is hope, uh, you just need to pray that the Lord would soften your heart. Pray that he would reveal himself to you. Open up his word because his word speaks to our hearts in such a great way and not just our minds. Talk with a trusted friend. Ask them, hey, what made you want to follow Jesus? Like, why should I choose this over anything else in this world? If you pray for a soft heart and you really surrender to that, God will give it to you. Maybe you're the rock. Maybe you have that heart that has rocks in it. And so for you, ask the Lord to remove those rocks. You know, this is best done by seeing our sin and our brokenness. Uh, see that you can't fix your life, right? Uh, see that God isn't just a genie that grants wishes, but he is the Lord who, if you receive him, he will fulfill you completely. And if you fail him, he will forgive you eternally. Hard times come and we must expect that. But I think when we rely on God in a new way, when that takes place in our hearts, we begin to see the sufferings in a whole other realm that's confusing. I love this, um, this quote, it became my favorite quote during this time of COVID. It's by Charles Spurgeon and it says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I just love that because literally it's saying the waves are going to come, 
but I have learned to kiss those situations because what they do is they literally throw me to Jesus and I cling on to him and to him alone. Lastly, um, or third, we have thorns. Maybe you see yourself as the heart with thorns in it. You know, God can clear this away too. Pray that he would create an undivided heart in you. And please know that this soil, uh, if not more than any of the others, really needs to be in relationship with other people. You can't do this alone. I think when we speak up and we say, here are struggles, frustrations, temptations, all of that, when we speak it to somebody else, it just takes a lot of the power away from the enemy. And so for you, go to a friend, open up, share that with them, and allow them to walk with you uh, through this. We definitely, we don't want to see you move backwards, but we certainly don't want to see you just stay where you are. We want you to be in forward motion, producing fruit. And lastly, maybe you're the good soil. If you're the good soil and you think maybe this parable isn't for you, well, guess what? We have a role to play with all three above soils. Uh, we are to produce fruit and to share the gospel. Uh, did you know? It was always God's plan from the very beginning for fruitfulness and seed bearing. I love this passage because in Genesis 1, 11 through 12, if you ever read the Old Testament, I'm like obsessed with it. But when you read it, you see that it like carries so much in and connects with the New Testament in such incredible ways. And it says, then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and fruit trees on earth, bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kind. And it was so. The earth produced vegetarian seed, uh, vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit from seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So from the very beginning, before man was even created, he created seed-bearing, fruit-producing trees, and he saw it as good. We cannot see the problem in this world as, and, not be, and be silent. We just can't. We see that the problem in this world is sin. And by us not producing fruit, we need to pause and evaluate why that is. The best remedy for this problem is the gospel. And if we don't focus on seeing what the problem is, we'll blame something else. And if we don't see what the solution is, we will always be looking for something else to be the remedy. And it's just never going to work. One of the things my flatmate and I would do in London is if we had a person, <laughs> I know you've been there, who you find just really difficult and they're just taking a lot and you're just like, oh, is it worth it? Is it worth my time? Is it worth my energy? We would pause and look at each other and just say, so where would you be if you didn't have Jesus? And that was always a very like humbling and sobering question. And if you've never asked it, I recommend you do so. Because we would think of maybe what are the things like addictions and things that maybe family members have been drawn to or statistically what you were, how you've been raised. What are you more prone to run after? Or uh, what are the things when you're stressed you turn to? Or what are the things you try and find your identity and your self-worth in? And we think about that and how we would pursue that. And it is just... <laughs> Oh my goodness, I just then start to realize the greatest gift that's been given to me and I need to go and give it so freely to so many others. 
and it definitely humbles your heart. Likewise, I want to encourage you not to give up on someone just because they are difficult or it does seem to be taking a while or they are one of those, you know, maybe they're the hard ground. You're like, oh, it's just, they're just not there. Don't give up on them. Did you know, we've been talking a lot about plants. Did you know that a vineyard takes three years to produce grapes? Three years. You don't just wake up one day and go, I think I'll start a vineyard. You could buy one but you're not gonna start one and expect it to go quickly. It takes a lot of time, waiting, and patience. But when we have other people in their hearts, we seem to think by sharing the gospel once and they're not interested, that's the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. We need to have patience for other people's lives just as we would have patience for the vineyard. And in closing, I wanna let each of us just soften our hearts. Allow God to remove the rocks and the thorns and produce much fruit. Let us see others with eyes that break for the condition they are in without Jesus. Let us walk in obedience and joy to help them to join into a beautiful garden that is the family of God. And so I'm going to close this in prayer. This isn't my prayer. Uh, this is a prayer by David Platt, written specifically about this parable. And I... I'm not fully copywriting because I changed some of the words and such to fit our church and our community. But what I love is, is the way that he just phrased and summed everything up so beautifully. And reading it brings me back to my English church days. This is what so many of them do is they write their prayers out and then they read them. So if you would close your eyes with me and let us pray. So, oh God, thank you for this parable and the way it leads us to pray. God, one for soft hearts and fertile soil in our own lives. God, we pray that every day as we hear your word by your spirit, you would soften our hearts and that our hearts and minds and lives would indeed be fertile soil for the reception of your word, for hearing your word, holding it fast with honest and good hearts and bearing fruit with patience. God, I pray that in my life. I pray that over every single person who's listening right now. God, we pray that you would keep the word from being choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life around us. We pray for the reception of your word and a fruitfulness flowing from the word that is not pulled away from you by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And God, even as we pray these things for our own hearts, God, we pray these things for others' hearts around us. And I pray for the members of this church God, we pray for friends that are sharing the gospel with. God, we pray for family members, for coworkers who don't know you, for neighbors who don't know you. God, please soften their hearts to receive your word. God, we pray this all around us in our cities. God, I pray for Vancouver. God, I pray for others as they substitute whatever community city they live in. God, we pray for the softness of hearts, for openness to your word. God, we pray for an awakening in this country. God, we pray for a spiritual awakening. Please, oh God, soften hearts. God, we pray for fruit that is yielding a hundredfold for your glory. God, we pray not only you can do the, we pray, God, because only you can do these things. We pray that the power of your word would fall on our soft hearts by the power of your spirit and the fruit would be born. God, and all these unreached people, because we pray for every day would know you. God, we pray for soft hearts among unreached people. They might hear your word, believe it, and respond to it, and obey it, and hold fast to it, and not be choked out by every attempt of the adversary to do so. God, we pray for your word to bear fruit in our lives, and our families, our churches, our communities, our cities, and among the nations. 
We pray this according to this parable. In Jesus' name, amen.